This is Clutch Fans. And by the way, shout out to the Clutch fans. You're listening to the Clutch Fans Podcast, an open conversation for Houston Rockets diehards. Houston Rockets is unbeatable. <laughs> Now, here's your host, the man who would have drafted Harold Miner over Robert Ory, Dave Hardesty. I wish we were here under different circumstances, but it did not go well. The Rockets finally make the Western Conference semifinals and lay a complete egg uh, in Game 1 against the, the L.A. Clippers here at the Toyota Center. Uh, they fall by the score 117 to 101, but it's really how they fell against a team without their star, uh, Chris Paul, that uh, was the story. And there's a lot to talk about. I'm here with a good friend, MK Bauer of Sports Exchange. MK, thanks for joining me. I, I wish it was, uh, like I said, uh, under a better uh, situation. It's interesting that I think we all kind of had the impression that given the circumstances of the Clippers playing an absolute dogfight of a series against the Spurs, and then learning today that that Cliff that Cliff Paul Chris Paul wasn't going to be available, <laughs> you know the expectation is that the team will come out here and seize an opportunity. It clearly, advantageous to them, based on both of those factors, and then just played poorly really from start to finish, particularly after they got up 13 in the second quarter and just kind of laid down. And, and we'll obviously dig into the nuts and bolts of it, but the grand scheme of things, that was a really poor performance from a team that had an opportunity to seize the lead and kind of dictate what was going to happen for the series from this point moving forward. Yeah, you mentioned Cliff Paul. I think the Clippers would have won with Cliff Paul as well. It was it was that bad. I mean, I think the, the thing that jumps right out at you, right off the page, and I think what's has made me extremely disappointed, probably the most disappointed I've been in this team in a while. I mean, granted, last year they lost game one and two, but those were pretty hard-fought games. I think there were some struggles in there. And, and, and you know, LaMarcus Aldridge, as we know, went, just went bananas. But this game, they just weren't there. And the 24 turnovers is what I was uh, trying to get at here is that that just jumped out of the page. Nine turnovers in the first quarter. And some of the turnovers that they did were just mind-boggling. Jason Terry just sort of on a, I don't even want to call it a break, just trying to move a little bit, steps up, jumps, nowhere to go. Almost Jeremy Lin-esque where he just jumps without any idea where he's going to throw the ball. Uh, there was a three-on-one fast break. Rockets sloppy ball handling, couldn't convert. A second guy comes back, and they just steal the ball uh, from the Rockets as well. 24 turnovers, that matches their season high, and it was the thing, without a doubt, that had Kevin McKelvey angriest in the press conference. He described them as seventh-grade turnovers, basically. Yeah. And it, that was the perfect and apt description because a lot of them were just mind-numbing. It wasn't really Clippers' pressure. It was the Rockets just making poor decisions with the basketball time and again and giving giving them 34 points. And that that's remarkable when you think about it, that, that a team as good as they are offensively, number one in the league in offensive efficiency, and you basically rolled out the red carpet for them in terms of getting an additional 34 points, but just not taking care of the ball. I, I couldn't quite understand. you know. And we've seen this before. We've seen them play sloppy basketball. I mean, they're one of the worst teams in the league in terms of turnover rate, so that's not surprising. But just the way the turnovers were kind of happening, the live ball turnovers obviously are the worst set of turnovers you can get. And then beat some of this, the, the, the haphazard, you know, disconcerned passing that just happened in a half court, happened, as you referenced, in, in transition. 
their inability to really generate any sort of energy or vigor or fire at any point in the game, and the turnovers started in the first quarter and really continued throughout the course of the game. I thought that out of all the things that went wrong, and we'll get into some of the defense, because I thought that was terrible as well, but the de- the, the, the passing, the, the turnovers were there from start to finish, and when you're analyzing any sort of game, sometimes the simplest things jump out at you. Yeah. And that was a simple factor of the game. They just did not take care of the ball well from start to finish and really put the Clippers in position to kind of develop momentum through the course of the game, find their rhythm, find their energy, start making shots in the second half, and still the game they had no business winning. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, you know, it's, you, look at, you look at the game, and it's interesting. They had nine turnovers in the first quarter, yet early second quarter they have a 13-point lead. They're playing rather poorly with the clip but they're I don't want to say it's their defense but the Clippers aren't necessarily knocking down a bunch of shots they're turning it over uh, quite a bit as well Rockets build this 13 point lead and then things just fell apart from there it, it was weird because I, I think the point is this that it's the combination of the two factors it's the combination of of the turnovers obviously giving the Clippers extra possessions through the course of the game and making it much easier for them to kind of find some sort of rhythm offensively because really initially they just weren't making shots they were getting good looks but they weren't making shots and then the point I wanted to make was the defense the Rockets got up by 13 in the second quarter it was 12 points midway through the second quarter and here's what happened from that point moving forward in the second half, in the second quarter for the Clippers a Blake Griffin duck Barnes layup Griffin layup Crawford layup, another layup by Blake Griffin, a Jonathan Jordan dunk, and then a three-point play by Blake Griffin on a basket right at the rim. The the lane just parted like a like a like a C, and it was amazing to see them play that poorly defensively in the paint at a critical stretch of the game. Because I'm not thinking the Clippers are going to lay down, but that's where you're talking about their fatigue and their energy level maybe being down. They're down by 13. You get that thing up to 20 by halftime. I don't think you see that same fight in the Clippers because they recognize the circumstances are really against them at that point, having played just 48 hours ago and not having Chris Paul. But when your defense just completely falls apart and gives up four layups and three dunks in that stretch of time to let the the league go from 12 to 3, that's on you. Uh, Yeah, part of it is turnovers, but part of it is just you're not just caring defensively and not really giving any sort of effort whatsoever. I thought out of all the things you can kind of point to, that was a key moment of the game because they had a double-digit lead. They had the team just kind of finding its way, and you basically let him back in by not playing any defense at all. You, you know, offensively, it looked like they were out there still almost looking for Dirk, you know, trying to find that, that hole in the defense, and it was clear that the Clippers are not the Mavericks. I mean, the Clippers were scrambling around, but you mentioned the defense. Why in the world is, I mean, is Patrick Beverly that key to this team? Because this has been a recurring problem for a while now. It, was it, is it Demo that's that important? I mean, why is their defense, which was pretty good for most of the year, uh, so poor now. It's it's hard to put your finger on. I think clearly they're much better with Dwight Howard in the game than they are without him in the game. And the part of that stretch, he was not in the game. He came back in later um, before all everything just kind of fell apart, right, during the, the process of things falling apart defensively in the second quarter. They just all have to step up a bit better. I thought James was pretty poor defensively tonight, just not locating yes. guys. Kind Lost of, guys yeah, a lot. Scrambling around late with, with his footwork. Um, we're going to get into Terrence Jones's play, but he wasn't very good at all. I thought um, Josh Smith has been uneven defensively for this team. He was not very good at all tonight defensively. Um, they did not get the spark they normally get from, from Corey Brewer off the bench. They were just flat, and, and I don't understand how a team can be flat in these, this environment, these circumstances, uh, understanding what's at stake. But they really just they were listless, and, and 
you know, Kevin McHale wasn't trying to hear any of the excuses about the days off leading to them being lethargic and, as James called it, playing in the mud. But it certainly looked like it. They, they just didn't ever have that sort of spark, that energy going at any point in the game. The fans tried to lift them into it at certain points. But other than Dwight Howard, I just didn't think anybody came with any sort of fire. Yeah, I would agree with that. Dwight actually played rather well. I mean, he's 9-13 of from the field. Finished with 22 points and 10 rebounds. Trevor Reza started out red hot, was 4-4 uh, from the field with a couple of threes in the first quarter. Uh, scored 11 points, finished with 17. Uh, I think outside of that, you've got a real mess. I want to start with Harden um, because Harden did have some poor games in the Dallas series. But I think I, I was always encouraged or never felt like, okay, that, that he was playing, uh, you know, sort of to that narrative or that reputation of playing poorly in the playoffs. He just, you know, maybe didn't have a great shooting game. Tonight, I thought, was his worst game of the playoffs that we've seen so far. I mean, granted, he was 6-13 of 13 from the field, finished with 20 points, 12 assists, 4 steals. All that was rather meaningless with those nine turnovers. I thought he was as sloppy as can be, but not. it wasn't just the sloppiness. There were, I can count just off the top of my head, three instances where I thought he drove to the lane, even had a clear path in the lane, and uh, you know didn't shoot a layup. Would go, drive all the way to the basket, kick it out to a three-point shooter. They, their offense, to me, was just, uh, I thought, frantic and, and a bit of a mess, and I felt a lot of that was, was hard. No clue, no clue why he was so passive. And I think the point you're, you're making, underscoring that early on, the, the opportunities at the rim, him bypassing them for 22-foot shots. Yeah. You know, take the, take the basket, take, take the layup, draw the foul. I couldn't quite figure out where he was mentally in terms of his play, and it was really bizarre to watch him kind of take such a backseat role in terms of things offensively, knowing that it, it all goes through you. you have to, He needed to be what Blake Griffin was, you know, just the complete facilitator and aggressor, aggressor in, in certain key moments, getting other guys the ball when they needed the ball. But he was really just kind of deferring from, from, from step one, and, and that was not really a good move on his behalf because he was bypassing easier shots to give guys difficult shots. And I understand their offense is predicated on three-pointers, but when you get to the rim and, and DeAndre Jordan is not there to thwart you, take the shot. So I couldn't quite figure out why he played the way, and, and now in hindsight, I'm, I'm disappointed that no one asked him specifically about that that play because he actually did come into the, the podium room yeah. tonight for us, where he hadn't been doing that in home games thus far in the postseason. It was strange, and, and you know, I don't want to say the Rockets go as James Harden goes, but tonight it felt like they went as James Harden went with him being so passive and, and so lackadaisical. The entire offense played that way, and what really, you know. We love these type of stories where Steph Curry gets the MVP. Many people felt Harden deserved it. Per- personally, I would have voted Harden. Granted, I'm biased, but I feel like he did more heavy lifting than Steph Curry. Uh, granted, Steph Curry's team was phenomenal and better than the Rockets. Uh, 67 wins is a, is a huge story. However, I, I, you know, the stage seemed to be set for James Harden to come out tonight and say, hey, you know what, I'm the MVP. I deserve to win that. Uh, and going up against a team without Chris Paul, I just overall thought this was an extreme. I was extremely disappointed in his play tonight. I thought it was a disappointing performance. I think he will rebound, but I just think uh, this game in particular is going to haunt them, and, and a lot of it is because Harden didn't step up. As far as narratives go, this is an opportunity for them to make a declaration. It, it really was because clearly, to your point, all eyeballs were on him tonight because I thought, and I've, I kind of went on this, this rant about on Twitter today, I'm not surprised that he lost. I was surprised by the margin. That, that, that Curry got 100 first-place votes was startling to me, given how close their play was through the course of the season. And I think a lot of people kind of wanted to see how Harden played, coming off of that disappointing news today, thinking he may take over this game and have a transcendent game like he had in Game 3 in the previous series. 
And again, as you referenced with no, no Chris Paul, the stage is kind of set for him to come out here and be brilliant tonight. And he was anything but. He was just so laid back and so passive and, and not really wanting it tonight. And that was bizarre because it was all set up for him having having a Kim Olajuwon moment against David Robinson to just punish, not specifically Steph Curry, but punish the opponent in light of not getting an MVP award that many people thought he should have had. It was weird. Um, but he's had some games like that this season, not as many as he's had previously. But for him not to play up to spec tonight, when with everything on the table for them, was just a strange turn of events. Yeah, and I know we're, we're singling out different players, but I, 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 we're just talking about different problems the Rockets have uh, have sort of shown uh, up to this point. And I think the next guy we have to talk about is Terrence Jones. And this is uh, a guy who has struggled all playoffs. And he had a series where he was going up against Dirk Nowitzki, a, a huge defensive um, weakness for the, for the Mavericks. Um, and shooting 39% of the playoffs was just one of six tonight. Played just a little over 16 minutes. Has almost become uh, the Terrence Jones that we saw last year where Mikhail felt he couldn't trust him uh, you know, against LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, this is puzzling. I don't know if I want to go all the way back to the injury, the the, the punctured lung, um, but he was he was balling before that. I thought I mean, he was playing quite well and has has had a lot of uh, poor performances since then. Granted, that was a tough injury, but um, you know, outside of that, that fourth quarter in the series clinching game five against the the Mavericks, he's been a bit of a train wreck in, in the playoffs. You, you can't lose your confidence, and I thought that. The first shot of the game the Rockets took was, was Jones making a spin moving into the rim and just getting stuffed at the rim by DeAndre Jordan. And then I thought from that point forward, he was very shy in terms of attacking the rim, looking for Jordan to kind of step in and, and make a play. And, and you can't be that guy. You're six foot nine. You're a big. you got to challenge Jordan every opportunity you get. If you get a shot block, you get a shot block. But I thought he kind of took a step back from that moment moving forward and he put himself in position to be removed from the game because he was a non-factor. And, and look, without Donatus Modiunas, they can't have any of their bigs be non-factors. They need all those guys to step up and play well, whether it's Howard, whether it's Josh Smith who did not play well, whether it's Capella who did not play very many minutes tonight. All those guys have to fill that void that is left by not having Modi Yunus there. And I thought tonight, and really like you said for the entire playoffs, save for the last five minutes of game five, Jones has been a non-factor, and they, they have to find a way to get him going and really it's within him he has to find a way to be confident in terms of attacking the rim because Blake Griffin is not a great defensive player he's an improved defensive player but he's not great and if you get the opportunity to make a one-on-one move you got to go strong and go at the rim and go at your defender and I just thought after that first block tonight he kind of cowered a little bit and took a step back and he really didn't want any of the action in terms of the physicality of play on the interior look Jonathan Jordan's a great rim protector fantastic oh, for sure but you have to be willing to challenge him at every opportunity and I just didn't think Jones did that. Hey, Blake Griffin obviously had a huge game tonight. Uh, Triple-double, 26 points, 14 rebounds, 13 assists. Uh, he was a bit of a load for the Rockets. But, you know, when you look at the numbers, the Clippers, they had a lot of turnovers, 23 turnovers. But really, the, uh, you know, we talk about the team without Chris Paul, uh, and, and they're a better team, obviously, with Chris Paul. That's, that's uh, evident. But they shot almost 49% from the field tonight, for, uh, 42% or a hair under from three-point range, that second half is what just did them in. I mean, uh, they, they scored 71 points, hit 11 of 16 from three-point range. And some of the things that I don't think we'll see in the game two or, or much in this series, Matt Barnes goes 8 of 11. Uh, Austin Rivers, a sub-30% three-point shooter, goes 4 of 6 from, from distance. Uh, those are things that, hey, you know, the Rockets were, were leaving three-point shooters open at times, but... Uh, 
th- these guys certainly played extremely well. They played almost a vintage Rockets ball where they just had a big and they, they uh, had three-point shooters around them. I think I want to tie the, the, everything you just said in together because it starts with Griffin and then it goes back to the shooting. In the third quarter, the, the Clippers were 6-for-6 six six from three-pointers. Griffin had a system for those six three-pointers. I thought everything they did was running the offense through him, letting him make a move, having the shooter spread out, and those guys got open looks. Look, it's not just that they shot well. It's that those looks were open looks constantly. And it, it was in the third quarter, and then it was again in the fourth quarter after the Rockets cut it to one point, and they seemed like they were kind of working their way back into it. It was 89-88, and they had Barnes with a wide-open three. He hit it. You had Barnes with another three-pointer. He hit it. Jamal Crawford had an open three. He hit that one. I think you had Austin Rivers with another three-pointer. And before you know it, it was a 13-point lead. All those threes were open looks. They were not contested. And, again, it was a situation where the Rockets had just broken down so much defensively they did not have the energy to, uh, to muster up the, the sort of fight you needed to close that thing out on both ends of the court. They made their hayway offensively. Defensively, they were a train wreck throughout the course of the evening, and particularly in, cr- in critical moments of the game. And I understand what you're saying. There's no way the Clippers are going to shoot 68% from three-point range, but they'll shoot really well if they keep getting open looks like that again. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Prigioni goes 3 of 5 from three-point range. I'm not sure that's going to necessarily happen again either. Uh, you know, the, the Rockets bench, which was so good in the Mavericks series, uh, sort of uh, failed them as well tonight. Josh Smith and uh, Corey Brewer both go 3 of 12 from the field, a combined total 15 points. Um that was lacking. I think this may be a series, again, there's no injury excuse here, but this may be the series where they, they do miss Donatus Motiunas. I think he would have uh, certainly been a, a great option for them to turn to when Terrence Jones was was uh, struggling. And Josh Smith waving off Prigioni in the fourth quarter. We, we noticed this where Prigioni's like, look, run, head towards the basket. He was, And, and Josh Smith was calling for the ball up at the outside of the three-point line. I thought that was... Uh, Strange. This is your point guard you should be having. You don't want Josh Smith running the show at that point. Um, so, you know, there was, I think having Demo in that, in that instance would have been uh, good for the team. But again, no excuse. Um, I, you know, I, this game sucks, period. I mean, there's n- not a whole lot to talk about. I think it, most people are writing the Rockets off after this. Um, and rightfully I, so. Right. Because you lose at home without Chris Ball, you no longer have home court. Um, and so most people are saying, hey, that you know, you can get your vacation plans set now because they're not winning this series. We'll see how they respond. It's, you know, we've, we've said things like this before after a loss and say gut check time. This is a deep gut check time because as far as playoff basketball, that, that's got to be near a rock-bottom moment to do, to, pull, to do something like this. It's interesting. It feels like where the Clippers were after losing two consecutive games at home to the Spurs and you're thinking they're done. There's no way they can, they can respond. Well, they've turned a corner. As, as, a, as a team, as a franchise, and it was interesting hearing Blake Griffin talk about that, Doc Rivers talk about that, Matt Barnes talk about that mental toughness they developed this season that, they, as Barnes said, they had never had previously. They had been a weak team mentally, a soft team mentally, and now they have a, a, a resolve about them that did not exist before. Well, the Rockets, I think, showed that this year. You can't win the Southwest Division with all the teams making the playoffs unless you have resolve with all those injuries. So they've shown a toughness this year. They've shown a middle, an intestinal fortitude to get things done. It's all on the line now. All the chips are kind of on the middle of the table in terms of them doing that again because the Clippers are rolling. You know, for them to win Game 7 the way they want it, for them to go into San Antonio and win Game 6 to set up Game 7 at home, it shows me that they're not the same Clippers. We can't really talk about them in that same light anymore because they turn the corner and then to come here and win a game without Chris Paul playing 48 hours after they had the most grueling, yes. drag-down knockout fight you can imagine. They're a different team. 
And so if the Rockets are going to meet that challenge, if they're going to face them as a new Clippers franchise, as a new organization, as a new direction um, in L.A., they got to step up to that challenge. And they got to be something they haven't been um, in the postseason in a long time. They've been that team through the course of the regular season. they got to take another level up and come out in game two with, with a renewed sense of urgency and win that game. Before we go, I gotta ask: Have you noticed that the uh, Rockets are 0-1 since they fired their Twitter guy? <laughs> I've noticed that their tweets are very, very boring and bland. I know that much. <laughs> yes, I, I think that's by design. We miss you, Chad Shanks. Uh, I was uh, disappointed to hear that news. I think um, a lot of fans are upset about it. I understand the Rockets' viewpoint in the sense that it became the story after they finally got out of the first round. You know, it overshadowed everything that they that they did. Um, but I, I, I disagree with that. I think it became the story because they fired him the next day. I don't think anybody would have talked about it beyond that that, that specific evening. But you did notice that it was a big story that night. It was a big okay. story that night, but I'm telling you, I'm turning the page onto the next day. 100% agree. No one's talking it about it. It made that. it tenfold bigger by letting Chad go and uh, disappointing. Great guy. Um, a movie I, I buff like myself. Absolutely. We miss him around here, and I, I didn't uh, think he deserved that, but I, um, you know, the Rockets uh, did what they, what they felt they, they had to do. Like I said, wish we were. This was happier times after Game One. They they should have pulled this one out. They they should have get, you know gotten this without Chris Paul. But uh, it is what it is. And the Rockets now, pretty much in a must-win situation. Wednesday have got to rebound and play a hell of a lot better than what we just saw. Three of the four teams lost at home this weekend. Um, we always talk about a, a playoff series since I start until somebody wins on the road. Well, we have three series going right now, and the one team that won at home, I think, is the team that's going to be the prohibitive favorite at this point to win this championship, and that's Golden State. Look, Atlanta has its backs against the wall against a Washington that suddenly is red hot and playing extraordinary basketball. Uh, Cleveland, obviously, is hamstrung by injury and suspension, and they played valiantly to come back from a 16-point deficit tonight to lose, to get it to four, I think, in the fourth quarter and lose ultimately by seven, and the Rockets laid an egg. So I think all three of those teams understand we better win at home in the next game in game two or we're going to be in dire straits, particularly the Rockets, particularly Cleveland because they have without, they're going forward without Kevin Love. I think Atlanta's the best team that has an opportunity to kind of win on the road, but the Rockets have better figure out a way to get it done on Wednesday night because this thing can get out of hand real quick. That's MK Bauer. You can follow him at uh, on Twitter at Moiskapenda. MK, thanks so much for doing this, man. Thank you. We'll see you guys after game two. Yeah.